Blog Talk Radio. Listen, for those of you that are going through, for those of us that are waiting on His promise, understand God has not forgotten you. When times get tough, you got to look up to heaven and encourage yourself and say, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, we have a guest that's on with us tonight, and it's all about winning. You ever been in a position, Brian, where everybody just wrote you off and talked about you and didn't think you would amount to anything, and you had your (laughs) friends that you thought were your friends that hung around you just for certain things, and now that you're an adult, you can make adult decisions. And a lot of people might not like those decisions, Brian, and sometimes you have to make those tough ones, which our guest has to do on a weekly or monthly or daily basis in the business that she's in, and it's not favorable to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, heck, I was in that position just last week. <laughs> And so, you know, not, it's not when you become an adult or when you're a child. It's every day. I think it's those everyday decisions that people may not favor you for or people may not have favor for you, you know. And the reality is those are your decisions to make. And so how will they affect others doesn't, you know, I don't say it, it doesn't really matter, but you can't let people dictate your decisions, you know. But, Greg, I tell you, we're going to have an awesome show. We have an awesome woman on, and, you know, she's been a guest before. Uh, before I introduce her, I want to remind everybody about the nation of Haiti. You know, we're in hurricane season. Uh, in addition to the earthquakes that they face, they now also face the rainy season, the hurricane season. And although it's been relatively quiet, you know, we can't forget that the nation of Haiti is still going through a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache and their rebuilding efforts. So keep them in your thoughts, keep them in your prayers, keep them in uh, in mind when you make financial contributions. You know, we just want you to remember that there are people in a nation in need. But Greg, we got an awesome show tonight, we got an awesome woman on, and I want to introduce her by saying that she is the one-stop author source, editor, publicist, book marketing consultant. I mean, just, she does it all. And if I would even try to read all the stuff, all the accolades that she's accomplished in such a very short time, we'd, we'd have to end the show before we brought her on. So let's bring her on now. Best-selling author and publicist, Miss D. Stewart. Welcome to the show. And on cue, there she is. <laughs> let's just say welcome back on the show. That's right. D., you there? I'm here. All right, I think all she's right. Loving the, Brian, I think she's loving the attention, so she, I guess she didn't say nothing. She wanted you to continue <laughs> talking about her. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm closet shy, so. Oh, <laughs> you got to come out of that. All, that, all <laughs> the stuff that you're doing, come on out of that. D, you know what? Let, let me let me say this about about you, D. Um, 
and just looking over some things and, and knowing a lot of things that you've gone through. And the, to- the topic for tonight is win, and you're winning. Let's just say you're a survivor of uh, domestic violence. You're a single mom, mm-hmm. also a twin, and a Girl Scout. And this is the one that probably would throw a lot of people. You also manage three chronic illnesses, postpartum heart failure and uh, chronic bronchitis and also lupus. How in the world do you find time and strength and energy to do all of the work that you do? I really have to say God is the answer for that one because I don't know some days how it gets done. It just gets done. Yeah. I know a lot of times I, I used to either text you or, or we'd be chatting or something and you would just be so tired. And I'm on my I'm on this end just praying like crazy because you, you'll say it. You'll say, just pray for me. I'm tired. I have a lot of work to do. I have deadlines to face, and you have these three chronical illnesses that you're that you're defeating, and you're still able to do what a lot of people don't have any of these illnesses are. You know, they they won't even try to do the things that you're doing. Right. Yeah. So so that is a blessing. Where do you find your strength? Um, being in a position where I couldn't do anything. Um, there were times I was in either in the hospital or homebound where I couldn't do. And so when you can't do, when someone has to feed you, someone has to help you use the restroom, I mean, when it's that basic, um, being able to do anything that you want to do, you try to do it. Um, you don't, you, you try to take out as many excuses as you can. I mean, I think some people don't have that reference because they haven't been in that position where, um, particularly if you're young, where you can't do the things you want to do. So when I have the opportunity, I feel good. It's a good day. I, I try to make the best of that day. Hmm. Wow. You know, and so many people take for granted those basic things you talked about, like having to go to the restroom and feeding yourself, you know, and it's not until you're put in that type of position that you really begin to appreciate it. You know, it's almost like when you when you crank your car, you expect it to crank up every single time. And, you know, the same thing. When you get up, you expect to be able to get up out of the bed and move around and do stuff. You know, so it's, you know, it's it's almost like it's a, it's a hidden blessing that we're able to talk to you right now on the phone because I know you were in a situation, you were in a position where you could have lost your life. Right. Couple of times, <laughs> All right? You know, but so tell us what are, what do you have going on? What's on the plate of D. Stewart today? What was on your plate today? Just tell us a typical day in your today? life. Um, a typical day is I take my daughter to school, and when she after I drop her off, I either do some type of um, physical exercise and breakfast. Um, because when you have a chronic illness, you have, to, particularly a heart issue, you have to exercise in order to carry on regular tasks. So um, I have to do my 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 workout time, and then um, I start my day. And um, today, for example, I worked on some um, 
to have a couple of author clients um, to have books out. So I worked on um, some PR for them. Um, I also have a book um, my, uh, that will be published, uh, will release next year through Kensington Books. And I had to turn in some information my, my editor wanted. And then also working on my second book, um, which is due. Um, that will come out the year after that. And then I help my daughter, I get my daughter from school, help her with the homework, you know, do um, housework. Um, but at the same time, I, I did a lot of writing today. I had I, I have a monthly email newsletter that I send out, and and so I spent a lot of time making sure that was good for today. And then I'm responding to people um, on Facebook, um, usually Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I invite people to come on and ask me a question. I'll respond. And so I spent a little time doing that today. Um, so today was a lighter day. And um, because I knew I was coming on, I rested um, at from about 7 to now so that I wouldn't be tired. Right. And uh, my daughter's in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, D, your job is, is one where you have to go out and read what someone else has written. And you you're one of the few that that's out there reading these books and, and also um telling everybody about these books. How how did that happen? I think you were the first what is it, the first African American woman in the Christian industry to, to, to do what you're doing? Well, I'm the first African American Christie Awards um, book judge, and that's right. if you ever go into Lifeway or any of the Christian bookstores, Parable or Family. Some of the books have gold seals, and I was um, was one of the people for, and I did it for five years. This is the first year I didn't do it, and that's because I got this book deal, so it's a conflict of interest. But um, before then, um, we decide what books are the best books. Um, in the industry for that year, and publishing houses nominate books, and we read them, and um, we determine, you know, based on the standards that we have set, what books are excellent. Um, but getting started actually came from a literary background, more um, writing for Mosaic Literary Journal and um, college presses about literary fiction like Toni Morrison, uh, um, not so much commercial fiction. And um, I got involved in commercial fiction when I began um, editing a newspaper, and I worked on the entertainment section. And we saw a lot of Christian books, but I didn't see them anywhere else. And so I asked them if we could take the books that we weren't going to put in the paper online. And um, that's how I began, began Christian Fiction Blog. I mean, it's six years old now, that blog. And... Um, I've done a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, we could spend all, a whole hour on all the stuff I've done in these six years. But basically, um, I've, I've been a part of the conversation with Christian publishing or um, um, American book publishers who have authors who write for the Christian market on how to um, get the word out about these books. All right. Tell us about... Um, this book deal you have, because I heard you mention it a few times, and I didn't know about it until you said that. So tell us about this book deal. Well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say nothing, Brian. Oh, 
<laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, the book deal, um, the story behind that is um, actually my friends kind of helped me with this book deal. Um, I had wrote this story um, a while back, and it's um, about a bounty, a single mom bounty hunter. And I didn't, I had didn't know anything about the the uh, Janet Ivanovich books that um, or one of her books will become a movie next year. But I wrote a book about a bounty hunter because at the time I thought if I was physically well, what would I do? And I said I would, you know, I would find deadbeat dads and people who skip bail and that kind of thing because I was in the mood. So um, I had wrote this book a while ago, but um, and I shopped it to through Christian publishers, but it was too um, too much for the industry. My my, my female um, lead is um, she's physical. She's um, she carries a gun. She carries a knife. She has feelings. She's you know she's just a little bit too edgy for. Um, a family or a lightweight bookstore type book. So I kind of put it on in the under my bed and kind of left it alone. And um, I destroyed a couple of computers just from writing and burning them out. But um, last year my writing group friends um, suggested I enter the Romance Slam Jam writing contest. And I, I kind of played around and they pulled my book together through all the emails of um, different chapters that I had sent out over the years and pulled the, the book together. And then I had a problem with my printer, and so another friend um, actually print the book and mailed the book for me and I mean, for the contest, and I placed um, third. Um, but the funny, um, funnier thing about that is one, the person who ran the contest read my, my entry and liked it so much and she sent it back to me, and it had, like, edit marks from my friends, my writer's group. And so the reason I wasn't first was because it had stuff like, that's good, you know, in, you know, embedded in the writing thing. And because I didn't check it, somebody else sent it out for me. So um, she referred me to um, Selena James um, at Kensington, which is my editor, um, and I sent it blind without an agent um, um, and with a referral from her. And she liked it, and um, the rest is kind of history. We're kind of running with the the book. The first book is called A Good Excuse to Be Bad, and it comes out in the summer of 2011. Oh, a, a good excuse to be bad. <laughs> wow. Now, that sounds like an intriguing book. <laughs> you know, let me ask you, you know, what was your motivation? I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What was your motivation for uh, entering the genre of Christian fiction, you know, as a reviewer, as a, you know, publicist? Well, I hadn't read a lot of um, commercial Christian fiction by African Americans. That's chiefly um, who I um, work with. Um, but for review, I review all, um, just about every book that comes out. But um, the la- the last I have, most of the books that I read before were either historical or late uh, books written early 19th century from African American men and women about um, people who were Christian. And then um, in the 70s, the 80s, it was a whole different kind of 
books came along, and so we didn't read any stories like that anymore. But um, I was sick. I actually was in the hospital, and um, we thought I needed a transplant. And I saw a commercial um, from BET. I was watching BET at the time. There was a Christian fiction book commercial. It was Jacqueline Thomas's The Prodigal Husband. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting concept. And I asked um, one of my family members to get me the book, and they brought me the book. And I read the book, and I I wanted to read more. And around the same time, my condition got better. I have great, great, great cardiologists who um, are like the best in the country that helped me keep me keep my heart. But I returned home, and I didn't know what to do because what I was doing before, I worked as a project manager for a church architecture firm, and, in fact, that's what I went to school for, to be an architect and design churches. But now I couldn't go back to that profession. So I was kind of like in a rut, I'm kind of depressed what I'm going to do. Um, I couldn't take care of my daughter. Um, the way I wanted to because I was physically unable to handle her because she was like two, one, one years old, two years old. She was a, so she was a lot to handle. But my um, cousin who, she was in her 80s, she told me um, if if I want to die, I need to go ahead and do it. But if I'm going to live, I need to, I need to you know, quit thinking about my circumstance and do something with my life. And... Um, she died like a couple of weeks later, and I was at a funeral, and um, this guy came in, and he brought in some newspapers, and he said he brought this newspaper, and he was the church pastor, from her pastor, and I thought about what she said, and I asked him, you know, do you have an editor for that paper? Can I look at it? And um, um, that was Rejoice newspaper, and we um, began a great working uh, a working relationship and I moved back to Atlanta about a year later because I wanted to be near my doctors, and they decided let's have a Rejoice Atlanta paper. And um, I was the editor for that paper and um, helped get that paper going here in Atlanta. And so, and, and I really wanted to, to do some more work with um, Christian fiction. And so once I got here, and we started looking for Christian fiction authors because there were quite a few in um, South Georgia. It, it just kind of kind of fell into my lap, just one opportunity after the next. We began doing some local events here. <clears throat> I met um, great people like Kendra Bellamy, um, Hank Stewart, Tia McCullough. I mean, people just fell in my lap. Um, Cindy Woodsmall, who's a New York Times bestselling author, um, Ann Mulligan. I mean, just people just started just, just falling in my lap. Um, who wanted to, you know, bring this, uh, these books out and, and share these books. So I kinda, timing was, was um, a big thing. I think that helped me um, get get pretty far, I think, as far as I can go at this point with, with Christian fiction. Mm. Well, Outside let me ask of, you like, this starting thing. a publishing house. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me ask you this. I think you said there was a grandmother, the eighty year old. She's a cousin. Oh, your cousin. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and she 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 noticed your disability. She noticed what you were mm-hmm. going through. But let me ask you this: Why do you believe your disability is a gift? Because when I was young, uh, like a kid, I loved, and I 
I, I've loved reading for a long time. Um, I didn't write until I got into, I was a teenager because I was like in that moody blues 15 stage, so I began writing poems, you know. But as a kid, I really loved reading, um, and I really loved libraries. My mom would take me to the library, and I, I could spend all day at a library. I just loved it. And I kind of wanted to be a librarian, but um, where I grew up, as I said, I wanted to be a librarian. People would, like, laugh. Um, and I came from a family that I kind of wanted to make my family proud. I didn't want, I wanted to be in a financial position where I could help my mom and my grandma at the time where they wouldn't have to work as hard. So my mom used to work like three jobs and I have a twin brother to help us. And I thought I'm going to, um, I'm going to work real hard and I'm going to get a good education. I'm going to get the highest paying job I can get with my education and experience. And, um, I, I loved the idea of designing and architecture, but it was really, I really wanted that type of um, job so I could make a lot of money to help my family. Um, and I did, but with having this handicap, um, it took a lot of burden off of me having to feel like I have to have that weight of everyone, um, making everyone happy. At the same time, I can't do that job anymore. So the only thing I could do was um, have a pen and a paper, a pad and a, a pen and a pad and write. And I began actually began writing letters to my daughter because I was first diagnosed terminal that I would have about two years to live. So I wanted her to know a little bit about me before I passed. But that didn't happen. And so I continued writing and um, rejoiced that paper and working, writing feature stories for them, um, that just really helped me come out of not thinking about my illness. And it helped me kind of get back on the path that I really enjoyed as a kid. You know, I would do this, and I do this for very little money and would do this forever because it is like a joy. And I wouldn't have had that had I was not did not become disabled. I, I probably would be working um, as an architect somewhere. Wow. You know, I, as I hear you talking, you know, I could actually hear the passion in your voice that you have for what you do. You know, and everybody has a reason why they do something. And I can truly say that, you know, when you say that your disability was a was a gift, I can truly believe you in that. Because look at what look at what you're doing. You haven't strayed from what you decided, what what choice you made, you know, in the profession you wanted to do. You know, and like you said, God kept opening these doors for you. Things kept happening for you because, you know, you did you made a decision. You know, and I just think that's awesome and I think it's great that, you know, when I, I like to hear people that when they put their mind to do something and they follow through with it, and then they reap the benefits. I love hearing stories like that. I I mean, I'm an example that it works. It's hard, though, because there's times when it doesn't seem like you did I make the right decision. I mean, last year was a hard, hard year for me, but I stuck with it. I just didn't believe that I had veered off so bad. Um, and so, like, at the end of the year, all these things start turning over. Um, so 
and there's certain and I've had certain setbacks through this year that you know just things that happened, but because of what I experienced last year and I've experienced when I was uh, terminal three years ago that year, I can say I went through it. So I've got to go through it to see what's going to come out on the other side, and um, and that's hard to do. It's really hard to do when it's really bad. <laughs> So I'm, I'm glad I was um, asked to come on and talk about winning because when you people are really hurting, they and you can't see, kind of you can't see straight. You kind of you're on you're on the right path. You just got to hang in there, and it's the hanging in there that's tough. So. Yeah, with all the things that you've gone through. <laughs> Oof, I, I and you know. What 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 about everybody else out there that's listening? Can can anyone win? I think anyone can win with Christ. I you you gotta have you gotta have Christ, and because sometimes you can you have the spiritual strength to be able to you know deal with the, the pressures of your day or your life, but sometimes you don't, and when you have Christ. He gives you people who can pray for you, who can step in for you. And my heart doctor is Christian, and he's a Korean Baptist. And when one time I was really sick and they didn't think I was going to make it through the night, he, he stayed and prayed with me all night. Most doctors don't do that. They go about their business. And um, I was too sick to do that for myself or my family was, at the time, my, my daughter was very young, like a baby, so she couldn't hang around the hospital as much. So um, I have um, uh, friends who are nurses at, at Emory University Hospital where I was who attended, who were also my church um, buddies who would come in and check on me. I got family members in my hometown, church or nurses who would stay and watch me, all that kind of stuff. When you When you seek Christ, he brings the people who can help you when you can't help yourself. And so I think you got to have God in your life to kind of make it. Because there have been times I just really was done. And these my sister, my mom, um, my best friend Natasha, Dr. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Natasha Brown at Morehouse, let me plug her, um, <clears throat> who helps me like every day. Um, my friend Rhonda McKnight, Sometimes I've been like really like this is it I am so done and she'd say the right thing and then next week she'd be like I'm so done and then I have the right thing so you gotta have you gotta have God because like I said there's just sometimes you can't do it by yourself and He'll bring the right person for you and you gotta be humble and there's a lot of people who are not humble and I think when you have a relationship with God it puts you in a position where you realize I I don't know everything and I can't do everything. I can tell you that, you know, there's there's people that God puts in place for you when you trust in Him. You know, and you know, I love that about God. I don't know about anybody else, but I just appreciate that, you know, He puts people in my life when I need help. You know, and that's like every day somebody new will come in and come around and say the right thing or you know the folks that are already in place will call and say the right thing you know and just things that 
you know, little, little small things that me, that most people take for granted. Like I said earlier, you know, I've come to really appreciate because I know just how quick things can change. I know just how, you know, fast the, the direction of the wind can switch, you know. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question, you know, and again, and you probably answered this um, in a different way, but how does a single mother with three chronic illnesses wear so many hats? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I think that that's the reason why, well, that's not the only reason why we wanted you to come on and talk about this. But, you know, we have a lot of mothers out there that, are raising their children by themselves that are going through difficult times. And, you know, when they look at you, they say, man, there's somebody, there's something she's doing, and I, I want to know what it is because I want to do that. You know, I mean, there's some single fathers out there that, you know, that have their children and, you know, they can't do as many things that you're doing, and they want to know how is she doing all this. And, you know, and I Greg probably would agree, there's some married folks that are saying the same thing. How can you do all this stuff? Um, I think it has to. It really has to, for me, to go back to um, my childhood and the way I was brought up. Um, my mom had three jobs. My um, grandma had her own business. My great-grandma had her own business. My uncles, they were farmers. They were masons. They were deacons. Everybody had did more than one thing. So it was kind of like you were brought up. Like you can't be lazy. Just that it was a sin, and if you sat around too long, you had to go do something. And that's kind of how we are. I have a twin brother. Um, we couldn't watch a lot of TV, and we had to do something. So, as if you grow up that way and you become an adult, you have to do something. When I was physically well, I always had at least two or three jobs, or I had a little something gig on the side. So. Um, for me, it's hard for me to sit around and do nothing all day. It's just, that's just not a concept I was brought up with. And if I'm not doing something, that means I'm sick. And the same thing for my brother, my mom, my uncle. So it's probably family and how we were brought up. Um, and but, yeah, that's the biggest thing I can think of with that, because that's just how I'm wired. Yeah. Well, we have some callers on the line. Callers, hold on. You'll get a chance to talk with Dee in, in just a little bit. Uh, Dee, I, I, just, I just wanted to ask you to tell me, what's your definition of winning? Um, my definition of winning is uh, probably not an unpopular one, but I think it's a God one. And it's because um, winning is is like it's, to me, it's defined by are you doing the best you can do with what you got, not um, are you a celebrity, do you have a whole lot of money, but are you doing the best you have with what you got? Because I have, I, have, I have cousins or relatives when I was younger who lived in the project. You go to their house, and their house was clean. They had a garden in the front. They they starched their, their clothes. They, they took pride in they, what they did. And to get the best they had, and I thought they're you know they're winning because there are people who have big homes and the house looks like trash cans. So it's to me, it's doing the best that you can with what you got. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, 
I can I like that definition. I like that definition. But I'll tell you, know, you what. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, you know, because I, I, I could think of a lot of people who have a whole lot of money right now, and they're miserable. And they would tell you that, you know, I, if, if, if I could change everything, I wouldn't want all this money because, you know, more money, more problems, you know. And it's really about perception because a good steward of money will have plenty of it. You know, it, it doesn't matter how much money you can earn in a week or a day or a month or a year. It's about what you've done with it, you know. And life isn't really all about money. It's, you know, it's really about life. You know, and there's a song that it said, "Life is what you make it." Could be, couldn't have been said better. That's yeah. true. That's true. Now, D, um, we, we talked about your, your your books and the deal that you have. Well, let me ask you, how did you get your book deal? Oh, I have to say, like I, like I said a few minutes ago. Um, my friends helped me with getting this book um, out to the Romance Slam Jam for the writing contest. But to get a book deal now, um, there's some things you have to do. Um, there's a lot of hard work involved. I spent a lot of years um, learning how to write a story. I took a year-long writing workshop with um, Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote The Fight Club. I was the only black and only woman in that group, and it was about about 50 of us. I mean, it was sponsored through Ports and Writers Magazine. And he and the group, we all worked as a group, but he went through all of our stories and helped us become better and tighter writers. And and I've, and I've worked with a writer's group. Um, we were the Atlanta, we've had so many names, but, um, there are a lot of authors involved in that writers group. Um, I already mentioned Rhonda McKnight, Sherry Lewis, who's been on the show before. Um, yeah. Tia McCullers. Ooh, there's so many people. I just uh, I hope I don't miss everybody. Um, but Shanita Marks, who I know was on the call, <clears throat> um, that are in this writers group, and we really work hard at um, helping each other um, become better writers. And I spent a lot of time working on that working on that story, but also understanding the industry. Um, you got to understand who um, the players are and how the processes work. And I really researched what publishing house um, I thought I would be a, a good fit for, the way I, my writing style, the type of stories I like to write. And um, I had been wanting to, to pitch to them, but I didn't, I didn't have an agent, and I didn't know how I could do it. I didn't want to take advantage of my writer friends who – Right in that, um, in, with Kensington, I kind of wanted to earn it. And so when this Romance Slam Jam opportunity came up and they said that she would be one of the, the readers of the um, your manuscript if you won um, first place, that's what I was shooting for, for her to read my book. I figured if she could read my book, she might like it because I had been actually watching her on um, – book TV or television shows and radio shows, so I had been listening to what she likes in the book and then reading the books on the line. So I had a pretty good um, idea of what kind of books they were, she would like, and I tried to do something that I thought would complement the line, um, and it paid off. And so 
and they're very excited about the book, and I'm glad about that because you, you really want your publishing house the sales department, the marketing people really like the book because they'll help with getting the word out about the book and then getting the book um, and shelved and um, in, in people's hands in the summer. You know, I the the, the thing that I that I hear about your story, you know. When I when I listen to you talk about what has happened to you, the one thing that I hear is that you're not the exception. Oh no. You know, and and what I mean by that is that the things that happen for you and to you, it can happen for and to anybody. You know, mm-hmm. some people will say, well, that's that's just her. She got lucky. You know, and it, and you know, I would disagree. I don't think it was luck at all. I I think it was, you know, the fact that you were persistent in what you were doing, and that you had others who bought into your vision. Mm-hmm. You know, they believed in oh, what yeah. you were doing, even when you didn't. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, and and, and I think that <laughs> you know that's a beautiful thing to have somebody believe in your vision more than you do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a testament to the the type of people that you attract. You know, because mm-hmm. they say you attract the people that are like you, and so, you know, I I want to meet these friends of yours because I need them too. <laughs> you know, and I know Greg say the same thing. You know, we need more friends like those. Yeah. You know. Right. Because I know Greg, you know, buttresses me, and I buttress him. You know, we keep mm-hmm. each other going. You know, but we need like about ten more people <laughs> that'll work with us like that. You know how they say that? I need five more people. I need two more people. <laughs> I know. I well, I I feel really blessed with the uh, the friends I have because I totally agree um, with what you said. There are a lot of times. I mean, it's shameless. It's just shameful the times I say that's it. I'm done. I can't do this, and then. Someone would say, "Oh, you gonna do it," and then turn back around and they call and say, "That's it, I can't do it." And I say, "Oh, you doing it? If I'm doing it." So, yeah, it's a, it's a, anyone who wants to win can win. Sometimes you have to move out of your comfort zone. You have to move away from the current friends you have um, and get in, get around um, a different kind of group of people um, who can help you um, to see see your vision. Um, and and kind of sprinkle a little of faith on you. Um, you need that. It's really it really takes a village <laughs> to win. <laughs> I hear that. It's not an easy thing, is what you're saying. Basically, you have a lot of people. But it's doable. Yeah, yeah. You have a lot of people that give up. Mm-hmm. What do you, What do you think are some of the things that kept you from giving up? Um. I go back to childhood. Um, we couldn't say no. We, we couldn't say I can't in, in the house. Um, I come from a football, a huge football town, Valdosta, Georgia. Um, I grew up with um, Coach Nick Heider, who was the one of the winningest football coaches in the country. And my yeah. brother would play football in the world. <laughs> and yeah. I would listen to him talk to the boys because um, I was in band. So we would hear them talk to the boys on the field. 
and winning, and the thing he said every day was never quit, never, never quit. I mean, all day he would say it. So that kind of was drummed in our head, you can't quit. And even when, you know, doctor said I was terminal, and my mom said, oh, no, we're going we gonna to pray this thing over with today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to die. But they didn't, you know, they didn't quit on me. They, you know, we kept going until we figured out what was going on with me. Um, and it's true, you, you can't give up on yourself. You know, and you got to get yourself around people. You know when you do want to give up on yourself, they're not going to let you. And you got to be humble enough to call them and say, I'm about to jump off this this cliff, you know, uh, proverbial cliff, but I'm about to end. I, I, I can't run any further. And they, they come through. I mean, I've had times when I did not have the kind of um, income that I have now, and these same friends came through for me when I needed school supplies. Um, and my family, my dad, my brother, people just come through. Um, but there's a, a lot of humility involved. You can't think you are better than anybody else. You just got to believe in yourself, and that doesn't require you to be pompous or arrogant. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I got a question about that. You know, why do you think that when people, quote, unquote, make it, you know, when they think that they've arrived, why do you think they all of a sudden become, you know, this, you know, hot, holier than now and I'm better than you, you know, persona? Why do you think they take on that, that mindset? I don't think they understand what the concept of winning is. I think they still aren't happy because if you are happy and you feel complete about what you're doing, you won't put anybody else down. You'll try to lift someone else up. Um I think um, I think there's I, I have been around certain people who are a little um, taxing, um, and I even deal with people um, who are taxing, um, and it's they're not happy even with what they have. They're just not happy yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the I want to uh, take an opportunity to let some of our callers ask some questions. At this time, if you don't mind. I'm I'm good. All right, all right. We'll go to the 404 area code. 404, you're on live with the Abundant Solutions Hour. 404, are you there? You mean me? Yes, I mean you. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't I don't have any questions for D. Um I was listening on the phone because you didn't have the, the chat room open. Oh, wow. I think she's awesome. Um she's amazing. I think, you know, that her book is gonna be absolutely wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. I think everyone should go sign up and be her friend on Christian Fiction Blog Spot. Clearly I know her because I am like waving. <laughs> <laughs> with stuff. I'm the Shawnita Marks. Um, like I said, I think Dee's awesome, and um, I call in. I called in just to support her because you know that's just what we all do for each other. Yeah, Shanita, all right, let me ask you right. this. Brian, let me ask you this: how, how long have you known Dee? Oh gosh, uh, three years, four years, Dee? Three years. Yeah, about three. Three years. <laughs> And what is what is? Give me something. Tell us something that you've learned from Dee. 
<laughs> one thing? Oh, my gosh. Just one. Okay. Um, just one. It could be more than one. It could be more than one. <laughs> uh, um, D taught me not to be afraid to learn about social media and technology. D taught me um, it's okay to plug myself. <laughs> D taught me... Um, Spiritually, D taught me it's okay to be human, and um, and it's okay to not have a great day because so many times as Christians, you know, we want to put on the bravado and you know I've got to be strong and you know we can do our things through Christ and all of that is great. But if the king of all of Israel said, you know, why is my soul cast down? That means that sometimes we're going to have a down day. Um, and D taught me that it was okay just basically to be human and that, you know, you just make it through that rough spot and you keep going. So that's just one of the things D taught me. We teach each other stuff all the time, I think. But those are a few of the things. That's powerful. Whether you know it or not, that's really, really powerful because it sounds like um, she's taught you a lot of life skills. And it's really, really important, especially when you're trying to do something new, when you're afraid, and, you know, I just want to continue doing the same thing, but you're going to continue getting the same results. And it sounds like Dee didn't want you to, to, well, she wanted you to get better results than what you were getting. Yes, I would agree. Yes, so thank you so much. Hang on the line. We're we're not going to cut you off. Okay. Brian, you can go to the uh, next caller. Next caller. All right, we have caller from the 678 area code. 678, you're on live. Hello. Hello. This is Rhonda McKnight. (laughs) And Dee has mentioned me. I'm also a uh, member of the same writers group that Dee is is in. And I think that we have known each other for, gosh, is it seven, almost eight years? Good six, seven years. And I consider Dee to be just, you know, really one of my best friends. Um, You know, when I I first met her, I was so impressed with her knowledge of writing. And she really just helped, you know, me to kick it up a notch. I ended up getting a book deal before her, um, and but it was it was because of her. You know, her her telling me that I could write, her teaching me about writing, about story structure. You know, and Dee, Dee can talk about writing in a way that is so so complex that I'm telling you it can it can almost go over your head. But what she is trying what what she what she talks about is that next level stuff. She talks about that stuff that moves you from being a person who writes a story to being a per- person who is a true author, you know, someone who really crafts a story. And so I, I really appreciate that about her. Good. Awesome. Awesome. That's, 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 yeah, because you have a lot of people right now. I had someone contact me today, and they said, oh, you talk to a lot of authors, and I want to be one. And my my response to them was make sure you listen to tonight's show and uh, just pay close attention and get your pen and a pad because you know when you when you're trying to write a book and people are critiquing your books and people are saying certain things like you said it can just it can be overwhelming at times and go way over your head but it shouldn't because it's something that you probably just didn't know did you look at right. it that way right 
Yeah, yeah. And we all have stuff to learn. I mean, I think as writers, you never arrive. I mean, you're always, um, you should always be trying to improve your craft. But I, I wanted to say one more thing about Dee. Um, that really, the, the, the thing that I really, I realized this just this week, and I mentioned to her, and she, you know, of course, Dee is, is one of those people who, and I know she's like, cringing or ready to giggle because, you know, her in praise, you know, she she struggles with, with, with taking it, you know, even though she, Lord knows she deserves it. But I had a young man, um, email, someone that I don't know very well, who, who follows me on Facebook, email me because he had seen my book in Walmart and he said he saw it in the bestseller rack and, you know, I don't know if it was misshelved or what it was doing over there in the bestseller rack, but the bottom line was he saw the book in the bestseller rack and he asked me um, how I managed to get myself out there. So, you know, like he's like, you know, you've, you've been really successful really quickly. What did you do? And so before I answered him, you know, I thought about it, you know, because I, I had kind of had a, a few people ask me that in, in the last seven days. And I thought, you know, what what did I do, you know? And I started to think about the things I did. And I, then I started thinking, well, how did I know to do the things I did that other people don't do? You know, other authors don't do. How did I know to do those things? And it just, it was like God just revealed to me in my spirit, you, 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 you know, talking to someone who is a PR expert, pretty much, I think I probably talk to Dee at least five days a week, you know, some some weeks more. And I have had the benefit of getting, like, you know, probably 90% of that stuff in her head. And so, and and I've executed it, which is, of course, you know, I mean, we're we're talking, we're having conversations. We're just talking about writing or talking about marketing or talking about PR. And there has been some sessions that she's taught that I've attended because anything that she does, you know, I'm front and center. But I have had the benefit of just really just sitting her feet for the last, seven years, and I have used, and I try to use the things that she's taught me, you know, inadvertently, inadvertently, and it's working. You know, I'm, I'm establishing my brand. She taught me about branding. She taught me about social media. She taught me about making connections with readers, and, and everything that she's taught me, I mean, it's been a, a, a hike uphill, and, and it's going to be probably for a while because I'm a new author, but it's happening, and it's happening just the way she said it would if you do the work. So she taught me to do, she taught me what the work was, and because um, I'm a worker bee, but sometimes, you know, you could run around, you run around in circles and not get anything accomplished if you don't know what you're doing. And I've had the benefit of her expertise, and I cannot tell you what that has done for me, even the revelation of that this week. I'm still, that's still simmering in my spirit, how much she has poured into my life. Mm. That is awesome, Greg. And the thing about it is, I bet D hadn't even thought about it. Had you thought about it, D? <laughs> no. <mm-mm. laughs> no, because I mean, R- I mean, Rhonda, Shanita, I mean, they've all, like, since the show is about winning, they've all done something for me too. So it's like whatever I think can I can help them with, they in turn help me with something else. Um, organically, it's just that kind of um, um, Pam Perry calls it synergy energy, I guess, um, where we we feed off each other, and it's kind of like the body of Christ. Everyone has their own purpose and their own place, 
And when we work together, where one person is weak, the other person is strong, we, we go a little higher. And I, I feel that with, with this group. That I, I I agree because Shawnee to save me this week. <laughs> so you're, you're right, D. You're right. It is. It's that. It is. It's it's what God desires that we do for each other. That the community of of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing when you when you have it like that. I mean, there's a lot of people that wish they were in your position with to have people that care enough about them to reach out to them and teach them and not worrying about, oh, will this person get a book there before me or will they mm-hmm. steal all my thunder? Or it, and it just sounds like you guys, it, you just really, really um, have a tight bond and it's not about so much the business but so much about it's, it's more about life and helping other people. That's what I get when I hear you guys talking. And that, those things happen and and we see them. And so you can either say, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to decide I'm not going to be that way because it doesn't seem like it's working for them. Um, or you'll get caught up in it because it's easy to go to turn that corner. I'm a big fringe watcher. I'm ridiculous with that show. But you can, you know, make a certain turn and then your whole life goes on that one decision you make. So, um, and it's easy to to follow the um, how the world wants us to see the world, but when you're Christian, we are the ones who dictate to the world what is what it's supposed to be, not the world telling us this is the way to, way of the world. And it's but it's so easy, um, particularly now with social media um, and um, TV and the things that's out there. There's always these constant messages of what's hot, what's not, um, you got to get yours kind of thing. But when you're a Christian, you have to stay focused. Um, one one um, verse that has helped me a lot this week is um, John 14, um, verse 12, um, that, you know, you are the greatest because God, Christ is the greatest, God is the greatest, God gave his, his greatest to save us. He didn't give his mediocre, mediocre person, he didn't bring an angel down, he brought his greatest to save us. So we are great. And it's hard to hear that concept when you're constantly told if I'm not thin enough, if I'm not light enough, if my hair ain't long enough or straight enough, or I, don't, I live in the South because I have a Southern accent. And I find, you know, if you, don't, if you don't fit a certain thing, then you, you don't have it then it's easy to, to you know, bite and crab each other, um, particularly in this industry, in this book industry, because things are changing so much. People are clawing for the top, um, and you can easily get caught up in the, into that if, you don't, if you're not careful. Oh, I, I, I agree. I agree. You, and I'm sure you guys see it so much. And a lot of times when you when you talk with people that are out there and they're following their dreams and this is what they want to do, a lot of times, D, they'll step outside of the lines just to be able to get the recognition that they've always dreamed of getting and doing things that's outside of what God wants them to do. Um, have mm-hmm. you 
run into situations where people just felt like, well, the, your way is not going to work for me. I, I'm, I'm going to do this my way. And regardless oh, all the of, time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you do? Nothing. I mean, I pray for them. Um, pray that they don't go so far off. Because it happens all the time, particularly when you're in PR or any type of, when you're a service provider for an artist, because I also deal with recording artists, too, and some actors um, from time to time. People, even though they pay for a service, what they really are paying for or telling you is they're paying for a result. And if the result isn't what they have in their mind that they want from you, um, then they move on, and that's okay because that's part of business. But when it when it when you're a, a you're a Christian service provider and you're servicing a Christian market or Christian people, um, and they choose to go somewhere else, and it's not because they want to go to another Christian service provider, or maybe what you did wasn't so great. Cause there are times I didn't do the, the best job. I'm not gonna lie, I'm the greatest, you know, PR person out there. But there's sometimes when you don't do the best job, and if they choose to go with someone else, that's fine. But if their choices are, I wanna. I, I had a client, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say the person's name, um, it's a minister. I had a client, he had a book, nonfiction book, great platform. He goes to L.A. to speak at a, um, a, a church in L.A. and gets bit by the, by the Hollywood bug. Mm. And he calls me and says, uh, I'm going to go with somebody else because I'm trying to get on TV um, or I'm going to try to work in security as a, 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 a security person for a club. And I'm like, when you, what happened from going being your church platform? I mean, he has, great, he has a great platform. To now he wants to be on a talk show or, I mean, like in a weekend. He was booked to speak at a church, and before the weekend was out, he had got bit by Hollywood. Book. All I could do was just, you know, add him to my prayer list. I mean, what, what else can I do? Because... <laughs> I mean, it blew me away. So, and that's so, like the worst I've, I've, I've experienced. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing what people will do for money, fame, and what they think is glory. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was going to say we are almost out of time, and I wanted to give Dee the opportunity to uh, tell everyone where they can get the book when it comes out and also uh, to give everybody her contact information. Oh, okay. Um, um, a good excuse to be bad comes out summer 2007. It wasn't supposed to be big, but we just changed the date for summer release. So when I get the correct month, I'll definitely let you know. Um, you can find me online at um, actually www.deestuart.com or deegospelpr.com. Um, or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash dee.stewart or online at on christianfiction.blogspot.com. Um, I will be doing a workshop in September with SORMAG, and that's www.sormag.com, which is Shades of Romance magazine. I will be doing a workshop called The Facebook Guide to Book Marketing. If you go to my site on dgospelpr.com, I have information about that um, workshop and where you can sign up to register for it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Well, thank you again, Dee, for joining us. You know we love you as always, and yes. we definitely were going to have you back on as soon as we can. Well, thank you. And also, I want to say before I get before it cuts off, I am called Sister Faith, which is in bookstores. It's been out since February 2010. Mary Griffith, Griffin is the editor, um, and it. Um, I have a chapter about my experience with domestic violence. And so you can find that anywhere books are sold. Awesome, awesome. All right, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight. We ask that you come back and join us next Wednesday as we'll have another exciting and wonderful show and another talented guest. Good evening, God bless you all, and good night.